Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Man, that hit me Friday night and Revival Weekend. It just got slammed by the Lord. It just of the revelation of when Nehemiah didn't have what it took, he had the boldness to go before a king to ask for it. And I thought, man, may the children of God get the boldness to realize there is great need around us. And we do not need to look to the government to meet that need in any capacity. We have got to build within ourselves the kingdom of God strong that can meet the needs of people physically, spiritually, and mentally. Amen? Amen. All right. You got your Bible, turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love the Corinthian letters, full of meat in every chapter. Of course, it was a church that required correction, and so it really speaks to me because I have personally required correction. Anybody else ever required correction? Three of us, that's awesome. If the rest of you could turn down your halos... It's getting a little bright in here right now. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and 9, I'm going to read it out of the King James, New King James, and then I'll read it out of the easy-to-read version because it makes it quite plain. It says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, speaking regarding the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God, all that has been made available to us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Anybody identify with that before? In your life, maybe even currently right now, you can be hard-pressed in life, but you are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Amen. Hallelujah for that. As as, as I've heard people say, and I would agree with, you know, life is life. I believe in the promises of God. I believe in increase. I believe that it is not really scriptural to expect that bad seasons will come in cycles in your life, that we are told that we can go from glory to glory and faith to faith, always increasing and always seeing the victory of God. Yet in life, still, weird stuff will happen. You're going to go through things time and time again. Going through that, you can adopt a poisonous mindset of, of, of the victimhood of how bad you've had it compared to other people, or you can just simply embrace the fact that I might have gone through something, but all it did was solidify my faith. It is now tried and true, and I still believe what I believed going into the storm, coming out of the storm. Amen. And it does matter. The Bible literally says it, that trials and tribulations will build in you patient endurance and to let that patient endurance have its work within you that you may be perfect and entire lacking nothing so you get stronger after you've gone through something and you didn't get crushed you didn't get pers- or, or, or struck down but you came through out the other end stronger than you were before amen and i know a lot of times then we're trying to find the lessons in it the lesson is some things are not good things that you go through but that doesn't negate that God is a good God and it doesn't mean that he is not on your side 
And of all the names of God that are found in the Bible or the references concerning the Lord Jehovah Jireh, he provides. Who in here can say, man, God has supernaturally provided for you in the wildest, craziest of ways where it was like, my Lord, you get all the glory. I mean, you came through, you planned, you strategized. I'm in awe of God's provision. There's no one that can provide like our God. And then there's, of course, Jehovah Rapha. We, we, he's our healer. God heals people supernaturally, unexplainable, divine miracles that if you try and even put words to what happens, it feels like it doesn't even begin to adequately explain what happened. God's a healer. I've seen God do things. That I saw a guy when I was in Africa who had a broken bone. It wasn't sticking out of the skin, but it was sticking out where you could see his leg, the lump of the bone, and he was on crutches walking into a hospital where the doctors were on strike so there was no doctor to see him and we stopped him in the parking lot me and another guy and we prayed for him and I saw it go right back in and I sat there just as excited as this dude you know what I'm saying like because I've prayed for broken bones before that didn't get healed and then I've prayed for blind eyes and I've seen them healed just the murkiness the white just pull out and them just shout as they can see. And I prayed for blind eyes that didn't get healed. And I prayed for my wife's bone, my, her ankle. I felt her bone grow underneath my thumb and push it back out. And I knew she was healed. I mean, I have seen divine miracles, no doubt. God is a healer. And when he heals, it's just supernatural. I mean, it is like, and it's complete. Come on, it's like he doesn't just give a start. Like God heals and he completes the work. He's... He's incredible what he does. He, you can trust him. Amen. He's a healer everywhere he went. Jesus healed everyone that was oppressed of the devil, the Bible says. But one that I want to center on today is when Jesus was prophesied to come from Isaiah, he said that his name would be Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I have discovered that there are times in life and trials we go through or mental anguishes, traumatic events that begin to work within us to convince us that God is no longer with us. He's with the bride. He's with this chosen people. He's with this guy that's doing great things. He's with this person that's obviously blessed. But is he with me personally? And if you can get into this place, if you've maybe been in that dark place where it's this struggle in your mind that wears you down to the point where you feel alone and you feel abandoned and you feel stuck in this trial and this, this hardship and, and then the victim mindset sets in of, you know, if God was really God, why do I have to go through this when they never had to go through this? Why did I have this card dealt to me when they didn't have it? Why am I broke and they're blessed? Why am I sick and they're healthy? Why are these things happening to me, God? Right? And Job, Job obviously is a man to learn a lot from. He felt so justified in complaining of his trials that he even said, Lord, if there was a court that would hear my case, I would bring you to court. That's what Job said. I would bring you to court, but no court would hear it because they're all scared of you. And then, of course, Job later realizes that was a very stupid thing <laughs> to say that. And yet we can all say that, but yet we've been there. I often read, and it, you know, the word of God and you come across things and you're like, it's so easy to read it 
the Israelites grumbling and complaining. Why were they grumbling and complaining? But if you put yourself in the same predicament and the same outcome, would you be the person that stayed in faith or would you become the grumbler and the complainer? They fed the 5,000 and two chapters later, they were in the same situation and once again thought God won't do it. And we all read that and think, what's wrong with these people? Obviously, the Lord just did it two chapters ago. For you, that was five minutes of reading. For them, it was a while between the miracles. And this seemed like an entirely different, impossible situation. And as much as you want to chalk it up, impossible is impossible. So if you're trying to find your way or figure your way out, it is so oppressive that it works in you to make you feel like God is not on your side. And in the easy-to-read version, it says it this way. We have this treasure from God. But we are only like clay jars that hold the treasure. This is to show that the amazing power we have is from God, not from us. We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We often don't know what to do, but we don't give up. We are persecuted, but God does not leave us. Say that with me. God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we are not destroyed. Amen. There's a story in Judges regarding Samson, who was a man called by God from before birth because the Lord visited his mom and dad and said, you will have a miraculous son. He'll be a Nazarite. He won't drink alcohol. He won't cut his hair. He will be like a total wild hippie child. And Samson grows up and has so much strength and then meets Delilah. And when you read that, you're like, Samson, I, it's hard for me to think of you as an intelligent person. I'm just being real. You know what I'm saying? Like suddenly, Samson is like, uh, which way did it go? Samson strong. Trust Delilah. Like everything, how do, you, how do I get your strength? Do this. And then that happens. But I'll, I'll answer her again. What a moron. Am I the only one that read that and thought that? I mean, you guys would never say that. But I'm like... Samson, how dumb can you get and still be strong, son? Like, it was obvious this is not the type of lady you're supposed to hang with. Maybe we should have added one more thing to the Nazarite vow. But he got entangled with it and he lost his strength. And the Bible actually says he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. So in his mind, he was still confident he had the same strength that he ever ha always had, even though he willingly, foolishly gave it over to a manipulating enemy. The same thing can happen to us that if we let the devil in enough, before long, we find ourselves weak, empty, ran down with no strength left to fight the good fight of faith. And that is not God's plan for your life. And so I went through some stuff a while back when I first became the pastor here. I went through the most traumatic season of my life. And I'm not trying to dig, redig this. But I will just say this. In the midst of this going on, I found myself truly battling in my mind. Am I where I'm supposed to be? Is God even with me? I mean, did I just make this whole thing up? Am I even called? What am I doing? Why would I ever do this? What was I thinking? 
Obviously, God's not on my side. Obviously, I missed the Lord somewhere along the way. Obviously, this is not God's plan for my life. In, the, in everything that I could see and everything that was happening around me, there was nothing that would indicate to me that God was with me. Because if God's with you, things grow. If God's with you, things turn out good. They work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose, so I must not be called according to any purpose. You know what I'm saying? And I went through this whole mental thing, and as it carried on, it wasn't like it got better. It was like it got worse. That the more I I went through life trying to turn something around and trying to believe God for, for help and deliverance, it just built up stronger and stronger in my mind. It was the heaviest I had ever felt in my entire life. I definitely had no evidence to point to anybody that God was on my side. I felt like I had missed God entirely. It was miserable. It was oppressive. And I was all alone. Because nobody fights that battle with you. And so here I am complaining to the Lord. And just trying to figure out my way through this, is God really on my side? You know, and and we can all talk about victory. We can all see it in other people. We can shout. But I'm just telling you, sometimes the battle gets so real in your mind of you trying to interpret what, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? You know, Billy Graham wrote in his autobiography that he came to a point in his ministry where he had questioned everything, his friends backslid. He was like, is God even real? Is any of this absolutely true? And, and to the point where he was nearly on the brink of quitting the ministry. If you've ever read his autobiography, he had a divine encounter with the Lord in the woods. And he opened his Bible and he stuck it on a tree stump. And he cried out to God and he said, that's it. The only way I see myself through this is by faith. It is all unlocked by faith. And by faith, I say every word in your Bible is truth over my life for all eternity. I will not question it. If I don't see it, I will not. I I agree with everything in the word of God, whether or not I can experience it myself. But he grabbed a hold of it. He says it was like a divine encounter. The spirit of God strengthened him. He got up and he never quit the ministry and look at the fruit thereof. Obviously, the enemy's number one goal with any born-again believer is to persuade you that God is not on your side. Because if he can stop you in your mind, then he stops the call, he stops the fruit, he stops the benefits, and he stops everything attached to your personal call. We're in a battle. Amen. And if you fight the battle the wrong way, you lose every single time. In the midst of everything I was going on in my life, the first thing I began to do... As I'm crying out, God, are you even with me? I got really real with God. I mean, I locked myself in a closet and I said to the Lord, if there is anything in me that is not of you, get it out of my life. And I went through a fine tooth comb. Are my motives impure? Did I go in the ministry because I wanted people to applaud me? Did I go in the ministry because of some weird desire to stand before men? I went through everything. Did I, did I get married because I, I felt pressure? Did I do this? I was going through my life to the finest detail. God, if there is something in me not of you, get it out of my life. If there is sin that I am playing with, get it out of my life. 
See, people can start on fire for God, but you can see it and you will watch it that people will drift from the things of God and then they will cast the blame. It's this, it's that, it's that. No, your spiritual temperature is your responsibility. And you can sit there and point all day long, but one day you're going to stand before the Lord and there will be no one left there beside you to point at. And people push this aside and just say, it's just a feeling. One day I feel it, one day I don't feel it. If you're serving God based on feelings, you are not strong. And the enemy will have every right to take you out. Because you all he's got to do is make you feel bad one day. You know how quickly you can feel bad? One call, one text message can turn a day from victory into disaster based upon the news. If that is everything you're looking for. But the news you've got to grab a hold of is the news of the word of God that's eternal. That though I might be crushed... Though I might be persecuted, I will not be struck down in the name of Jesus. And my everything is centered on, am I pure before God? Let every man call me a liar, but let God see in me something that is pure. Let me live the life. As Paul said, pray for me that I would stay strong, lest in all my preaching I lose my own salvation. What is it all for? If you don't focus on, man, how am I with God? How's my spirit man doing right now? Is he being fed with cold snacks once a week? Come on, am I feeding my flesh? It got to the point, as I'm going through this, I literally really put this down. Like, how many hours did I watch television this week? Oh, I watched television six hours this week. How long did I read my Bible for? four hours so wait a second my flesh is being fed more than my spirit and i want to point my finger to god and say you're not with me i'm not with him i'm not there with him i'm the i'm the doofus butt that put himself in neutral gear to complain to the lord as i eat my potato chips and i watch my movie (laughs) well i'm sorry i I feel like i've been preaching real extreme to people lately Let me just precurse this one second. I actually had a dream last night that I was preaching so intense. I was watching people like in my mind, in the dream on my mind was saying, chill out, chill out, reel back, reel back. But I didn't. So I'm sorry, but I'm just giving it to you real. And so here I am, I'm going through my life. Like you have to show me God if something is off. Because the last thing I want to do is live 25 years with something wrong in me that I'm blind to see. As the Bible puts it, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite with exclamation point, which means you yell it. (laughs) Hypocrite! (laughs) First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so, number one, man, is God with me? Are you with God? Are you with God? Does he have your heart, all your strength, all your mind, your will and emotions? That's for something you got, you got to work out. You just have to do it. And you got to get real. And you, it's, not a, it's not like a counseling session that this gets through. It's not, I went to the psychiatrist and he told me, that when I was 12 years old, you have trauma, we get it. 
Trauma is a part of people's lives. It's happened to many different people. But what I'm talking about is a place where you strip off everything, all the hurts, all the scars, everything, and you say, God, I'm here. And you show me the part that I am doing wrong. And that's the part I want to make right with you. Because see, as I was growing in the things of God, and I'm, and I'm standing and I'm trying to do everything right, the last thing I wanted to do is sit there and, 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 and fall away from God in the ministry. There are people whose ministry gets so big that they lose their relationship with the Lord. It's the same with you. You can build a career so successful, successful that you will drift away from God. And then what success do you actually have left? You could have money, but guys, let me tell you something. Money does not mean your life is great. There are a lot of people with money that are killing themselves. And that's just the truth. The Lord is the one that gives you a delightful, happy, joyous spirit. You got to walk these things out. And what I went through in this, as I'm going through all of this, and, I, and, I'm, and like I said, this is not really even a sermon. This is just stuff I, I, I kind of walked through and just began to inspect my life. I got to the point where after inspecting my life and finding, you know, Lord, everything that I know, you know, you've, you've had your way. I asked you to keep me on a short lease, and you do. And every time I drift off, I find out really quickly that I drifted off. And I would love, I love that about my relationship with the Lord. If I even take a step in the wrong direction, something will come and jerk me right back. And I would rather have that than spend 20 years going down the line I'm not supposed to go down. And I've seen that. And so then I get to the point where I'm like, all right, well, maybe the problem is what am I actually believing God for? What promises are you standing on? Because you're like, man, is God even with me? Because it's like nothing's happening in my life compared to other people I look at. And they're having this happen and this breakthrough come and this breakthrough come. Or, or they, they had this divine encounter and I'm basically have nothing like that, you know. They had an angel show up in their bedroom. They had an angelic choir anoint them with oil from heaven. A cup fell down. I mean, people have the craziest encounters with God. And you're like, how'd you get in the ministry? I, uh, I called a dude and said, can I preach? I mean, it was like not even like a, a great spirit. I don't even want to talk about it. Leave me alone. Like, like I'm a shame, like a shame, you know, mine's not that dramatic. And I was more just like, somebody's got to go. I'll go. And then I'm going and I'm like, now you got to tell me what to say. Cause I'm, I'm not a preacher. And the Lord helped me. Lord's gracious. He's kind. But I asked myself, what am I actually asking God for? And why that matters is because if you're not actually utilizing your faith for something, then why are you complaining when someone else by faith receives something? Your faith, the Bible says clearly that he gave you a measure of faith. And by faith, you obtain the promises of God. The Lord found Abraham, and we can all think it's just because he found Abraham and he needed someone. But the Hebrews goes into great detail to say the reason why God used Abraham is because Abraham was a man fully persuaded of the promises of God. With no evidence in the natural and many years to wait, Abraham remained fully persuaded that every promise God gave him, he will believe until he sees it to fruition. And if you, the promises of God are dwindling in you, you feel like you've waited too long, you feel like this is gone, or maybe you're actually just not even actively believing God for something. You need to get in the Word of God and stir yourself to a place where, what am I asking God for right now? What am I believing to see in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my finances? Because there is a promise in God's Word that was written to you. 
And James says, you have not because you ask not. So there's a lot of people in this place of waiting on the Lord and they're wondering why has God not done anything, but they have never boldly approached the throne of grace. They have never made their petitions known. They have stayed in the place of a mindset of I am not worthy. What, what will happen what will happen. And you've got to aggressively realize the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to bombard your mind. He wants to make you feel like a loser, but God's promises are yes and amen over your life. And draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward, I'm not on the defense. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to defend the things of God. I'm not going to defend the word. I'm going to use the word to fight and be reactive or, or proactive against the things of darkness. I'll take ground. What do you believe in God for? And Kenneth Hagin always said, if you're going to ask God for something, you better have a promise in the word of God to stand on, to remind him of his word. Because the Lord said, remind me of my word. Remind me of my word. So you should stand on something. If you're sick in your body or you, you need a divine miracle financially, maybe your family line has been stuck at this level of finances for 10 generations and there's been a fire in your belly from day one to say, I believe that God will break that in my generation. That's a promise from God. Stand on the word of God. Say, I, your word declares that you would bless me in the city and you'd bless me in the field. That everything I place my hand to will prosper. And you write that thing down. You put it on your mirror. So when you're brushing your teeth, you're not thinking about how many minutes you've been scrubbing. You're reading the promises of God. And you're agreeing. That's what I'm standing on. That's what, that's what I'm looking towards. Because I have found this out. That when you stand on the promises of God... It can look like the furthest thing that would happen. But God is not a man that he should lie. And it will come to pass in your life. Believe it and stand on it. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. Stand on the promises of God. You know, and I'm just being real in everything here too. I remember distinctly, you know, the Bible talks about when Hezekiah was sick, that the prophet like interceded, so to speak, and the word of the Lord came back and said, go and tell him, because of what has happened, I will extend his life 15 years. You know that scripture when Hezekiah's life was extended 15 years. He was going to die. The Lord extended his life. Well, my father-in-law is a great man of God that obvious, obviously the Lord has been with many years. When his dad got sick, he prayed and he said to the Lord, give him 15 more years like you did Hezekiah. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'll do it. And his, his dad lived 15 more years from that day and then passed away. My dad got sick. He got cancer. So I'm like, I'm, I got the promise of God. I'm standing on the word of God. He's in 15 more years. And I'm asking God 15 more years. Six months later, my dad's gone. And see, these are the things that you go through that then you just compare. And you're like, well, obviously you're with him and you're not with me. Why did I pray so fervently for something that didn't come to pass in my life? And it can be used as such a tool to convince you God's not on your side. Look, there are just some things you will not understand until you get to the other side. Chalk it up for whatever reason. And there's always a reason. But one thing I solidified in everything I've gone through is this. The breakdown, the fault, the disconnect is always on man's side and never on God's side. I solidified that in my spirit to say, I will never be the one to blame God for being a liar or not standing on his word. I will always understood anything I miss, I miss. He didn't miss bringing it to me. Come on. And you say, well, does that mean... That, that everything, you know, 
point your finger to everybody. Stop pointing your finger at everybody. I mean, there's just things that you can receive God a prophetic word today, but you don't know how to receive from this. We all have these things we're learning to grow and learn how to adopt and let God's love come on us and realize, man, it's because of love that does it. But I'm, I'm trying to tell you, even if things look bleak, even if you're going through something, even if you've gone through a trial, even if it seems like the promises are far off, even if it seems like the promise is dead, buried in the ground, and it is solidified, it will never happen. If you let that become a tool to convince you God is not on your side, you'll be a person that the enemy finds his way to destroy every promise. But you've got to stay in, stand your ground and believe, man, I'm believing God for great things. And that's where you adopt the mindset. When my, when my aunt took her life, that hurt me. It was like my second mom. Obviously, anybody that's gone through any suicide close to you, you understand the part that comes with it. It's not like I lost someone. You have anger. Then you have grief. Then you have like, I should have done something. There's all these things that come with it that's like a package deal where you're just going through everything. And it can frustrate you. But in that, I remember getting to a place where the Lord had me, broke me free, and I could cry, and I could begin to heal. And a fire was birthed in me to realize, you know what? I might have been a sweet little Episcopalian candle choir boy, whatever, lit the fire of the eternal flame in my robe and walked out. But because you touched my family, I am going to come at you with everything I've got. You have awoken a storm, and that storm looks like Caleb, and he's coming with all of heaven on his side. I mean, that's what I realized. I'm like, I'm going to be a fighter. I'm not going to be the guy to curl up in fetal position for 37 years and say, where's the Lord? I'm going to be the guy to show the devil where the Lord is. He's coming, and he's coming in all of his might. Come on, somebody. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Makes the devil terrified to touch your family again. Hey, 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 guys, don't mess with the ring clan. Remember last time you touched them, that we still paying the consequences. Come on, you got to hit them in the jugular sometimes. Make the devil afraid of you. Stop being afraid of the devil. May he have made alarm bells go off in hell when you wake up every morning. Come on, Caleb's up again. Come on, all stations, come on. Bring depression, throw it out. He's cracking jokes again. Jesus, check your promises. What are you believing God for? And if you're not believing God for something, get a vision. Ask God for something. Start believable. Some people just try and start with something so huge that it's like, seriously, bro? <laughs> I don't believe in that. I'm going to be the president of Uruguay. You're not even Uruguayan. <laughs> like, how the Lord showed me in a vision. That was not the Lord in a vision, bro. Like, I hate to tell you you missed it, but you missed it. Like, believe big, but also don't be that guy. You know, like 123 years old, I'm believing for a child. Dude. Everybody else is like, how'd you make it this far? You're saying I'm going to get married. Okay, great. And I'm not trying to mock anybody's stuff, but you know what I mean. Some people, they get fixated on this thing. And you're like, what biblical promise are you standing on for that? What, what is it that that you can see the Lord do in your life. And I'm not trying to ridicule anybody. I'm just saying some things I hear, I'm like, man, I just, it breaks your heart because you're like, that, that probably will never happen. 
I mean, God specializes in impossible, but that is extra level impossible. That's impossible 2.0. And the reason why that matters is because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So then that's it. You fixate on something so far beyond your scope of even believing because you've never believed for something a quarter of that or a tenth of that, that then 20 years later, you're bitter at God and God is not with me because this never happened. Because you weren't real with yourself and said, well, the level I'm at is the level I'm at. And God deals with me the level I'm at. So if I want to grow, let's get real with God and be like, Lord, show me what I can believe you for. And I'm going to believe you for it. And then let the Lord increase your capacity. Your capacity to give, your capacity to pray, your capacity to understand things around you. There's a realness of maturity in the body of Christ that needs to be embraced. It's a weird thing going around that everybody's equal and and you got saved yesterday and this person's been faithfully serving the Lord 60 years, but yet you have everything they have. That's not entirely true. You have zeal, you have expectation, but you don't have the faithfulness of serving God for 60 years and walking through some stuff to gain some wisdom. And I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, there's a level. And if you are so arrogant that you think you don't need to learn anything, then you are already in trouble of never seeing anything come to pass. You have got to be a person that realizes I have not fully arrived and who is accountable to speak into my life to bring correction. Which brings me to the next thing. Check your fellowship. Who are you hanging out with, man? If you're hanging out with a bunch of negative Nancys and depressed Daves, And you're wondering why you're, or I've seen it. I've seen marriages, good marriages fall apart because the wife started hanging out with another woman that had gone through all sorts of trauma with her ex-husband. And then that trauma becomes the trauma of the person that has a good husband. And he just says, hey, can you help me take the trash out? You always just, ah. And it's a manifestation of another demonic stronghold in someone else that God in you has no right in you. Stop hanging out with it. And you, you can minister to people, but if all you do is hang out with people that pull you into despair and darkness, it will affect your life. Watch who you're spending your time with. Those that you hang out with will begin to indicate where you're going to go in life. If you hang out with a bunch of people that are stuck where they're at. When I got saved, I was radically saved at 19 years old. By the time I'm 20 years old, I was set free of drugs and alcohol. And I answered the call of God to go to Bible school. Left Tennessee, came to Tampa, Florida. One year in the Bible school, I called my best friend that I've worked with for, for or not, not one year, sorry, three years. As I was graduating Bible school, I called my best friend. So we've been best friends for years. But obviously, as I, I served the Lord, we drifted apart because he didn't want anything to do with God. Three years had gone by or four years had gone by by this time. I call him. Now he's like 25 years old, 26 years old. He was dating a 16-year-old girl in high school. I know. Bro, we made fun of that guy. And now you're that guy. And you know why? Because you're so stuck in life, you're doing exactly what we did in high school. And you don't realize you've become the creepy 26-year-old dating young girls, which was never your intention, but you're so stuck You're not moving forward in any capacity whatsoever. And people get stuck in that because of the fellowship of who they hang around. Well, I've always been this way. You're going to always be that way. No, get around someone that's headed somewhere with a plan. Get around someone that challenges you from time to time. Get around someone that you you admire in different capacities that you can see the hand of God upon. Get around someone full of wisdom and full of grace. Get around someone that builds you up instead of pulls you back down. I remember my youth group person one time, 
she had me stand up on a chair and she was like 90 pounds, my youth pastor. I mean, 90 pound little girl. And she said, pull me up on the chair. So here I am on this chair and I try and pull her up. She just jerks me right down. 180 pounds, twice her size. She pulls me down because it is easier to pull someone down than it is to lift someone up. Never forget that. What, what are you hanging around all the time? And if you're hanging around bad influences, if you're filling your life with negative things, if you're always even take the news. If you let too much of that in, bro, I'm telling you, you will be the person that I've seen believers get on this train of even the doctrine of demons. And they, they get on this whole train of, man, I found out from an ex-Satanist that on Halloween there are chickens being massacred all across Groveland. And, and what you don't know is that if you dress up as an angel, it still brings glory to Lucifer. And Lucifer will have, bro. <laughs> And then they go from that to, I found out that Christmas is based on satanic rituals. And, and then the tree is actually this Luciferian stripe, bro. Dude, you get to a point where all you can see is hell. And everything you're planning as a believer is actually doctrines of demons. You have embraced everything hell wants you to believe. And you can't even find purity anymore because everything is tainted in your eyes. You got to shake hell off of your life. My household, we read the gospel on Christmas. We got a Christmas tree and it's full of joy and it's full of celebration. And on Halloween, I don't turn my light out and hide in the dark. I preach the gospel on Halloween. I stand for the kingdom of God. I wreak havoc to the devil. I am not afraid of hell. In my book, the devil doesn't get one day of the year. Not one day. Not one hour. I'm not going to be the guy hiding in my room in my closet with the lights out hoping some demon doesn't show up on my porch. You show up on there. You look like a witch. I'll open the door and I'll tell you Jesus loves you. He has a great plan for your life. Let him in. God. The wildest stuff. And they get in this little cluster of people that are like, you don't understand. Hell's got a plan. Hell can have a plan. My plan is better than hell's plan. Because my plan is God's plan. And that brings me to another thing. What's your confession? What's coming out of your mouth? You're like, man, I feel like the Lord's not with me. That's because everything you say is what you're having. And you're so negative with your mouth, people get around you and have to take a shower after being in your presence for 20 minutes. It's a, it's a real deal. Such negativity that comes from people's mouths. And they call it discernment. That's the sad thing. They call it discernment so that they never deal with it. I'm just see what other people don't see. No, you see what you want to see. And what you want to see is negative because it makes you feel better about staying still. What's your confession? How can you believe that you can say something and not back it up with actions? You can be a liar, but yet you still carry power of death and life in your tongue. But you use your mouth to say whatever you want to say. It's like people can come in here and pray in tongues and then cuss their wife in the parking lot. Why are the promises of God not real in my life? I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I'm not about, get in the car, wench. <laughs> Gee, I wonder. Maybe it's because the Bible says if you don't honor your wife, your prayers will not be heard. <laughs> it's preaching better than... Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I'm having fun today, obviously. It's that second coffee, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? That 37th shot of espresso really gets you, you know, going. 
looks like a button, you know, it just, you know, what's coming out of your mouth? Hey, my wife and I check each other on this because uh, it's easy to say that and then you thought of someone maybe that you're like, we call them garbage mouth. They say a lot that they shouldn't say, but we do it all do it because the moment bad news comes, things come. You open your mouth, you say something. My wife and I have got to the point, we check each other on this. And when they check you, when your wife checks you on your, your confession, it is never like, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like You're, you're not like, oh, uh, thank you for that. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like a stretch. You're like, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit. Fruit, fruit, God. <laughs> and the worst thing is, is they checked you on what you said. And so now you're wanting to say a lot. You're like, <laughs> but it has grown to be a strength for us because we can call each other on it. And we have to get right because you understand. You're right. You're right. There's no one to blame but me. My wife's famous words are, you should listen to what you preached on Sunday. She's a master. She wins every time. What do you even say to that? You should listen too. We should listen together. <laughs> well, what are you saying? And I'll say this. It's like I realize, and I'll probably get into this later, but your mouth has power. All of creation was God spoke it into existence. So the word of God is what drafted everything you see. As, as Hebrews 11 says, we understand that everything we see came from the unseen, the spoken word of God. It carried for creative power, having that God is not a man that he should lie. Never being a liar has given him the power to whatever he speaks comes to pass. Well, he gave you the breath of life in your life. So watch what comes out of your mouth, because if you say the wrong things, you're going to have the wrong things in your life. As the Lord said to the Israelites in the Old Testament, when he was providing amply for them. I mean, imagine waking up every day and you don't have to go to the grocery store because birds are going to fly in your window and die. And buttered, delicious morsels of bread will fall from heaven that tastes like honey. And every time you're thirsty, you just kick a rock and a water fountain comes out. And every time you're sweaty outside, a pillar of cloud comes and cools you off. Every time it's cold at night, a pillar of fire shows up. I mean, they had it pretty good. In fact, the Bible says that he even made their clothes not wear out. 40 years? Imagine wearing clothes for 40 years and they don't stink and they're not falling apart. Definitely they made things better back in Israelite days than they do now. They had it good, and yet they grumbled and complained. So, I mean, we can all read that and be like, they were, what's wrong with them? Don't they see how good they got it? But they grumbled and complained, and the Lord, the Bible says, got angry with them. He wanted to destroy them. Moses pleaded not to, but then the Lord said, fine, well, tell them, I'll be who they say that I am to them. If they say that I'm that God, then that's exactly the God that I will be to them. 
And you realize, man, what you say carries power. That if you can say something to actually infuriate the Lord, man, you know, you don't want to make God mad. <laughs> don't make God, don't make the Lord mad or we will not even know your name. <laughs> your grandparents will be erased from ancestry.com. Your Facebook profile will have a cat on it and there will be no name left. You are gone, gone. You know what I'm saying? Just no more. They'll be like, do you remember who? No, you're gone. If you, if the Lord is against you, there's nothing that's going to turn it around. But, it, the, but God's not against you. His love never gives up on you. But watch what you say. Another thing I began to check myself on is... is I call it the arena, but you can call it just simply your thought processes, your mind. Because I began to realize this, and I hit this earlier. I mean, if you let the, the enemy be the one to talk to you just on the basis of your mind alone. He's the accuser of the brethren. He'll throw everything you've ever done wrong back in your face. He will, he will show you how everybody else is better than you in every capacity. I mean, they have this, they have that. In the mind realm, the reason realm, you will be defeated by the enemy. You cannot out-reason hell. He's a master, a manipulator, the father of lies, and the opposite of lie is not a truth, so you can't derive anything from talking or entertaining the thoughts within your mind, which the Bible says your mind is an enemy of the Spirit of God. So your mind is literally where the fight is. The strongholds that we are called to fight against, Ephesians 6, I believe, or 5, that says put on the full armor so that you can fight the good fight of faith. We're talking about the mind that comes to overwhelm us with hell's strategies and hell's thoughts versus the word of God and the truth of God. And if you get in that place and you make the pros and cons list and you begin to check all the lists and me measure yourself and compare yourself and do all of these things, you will find yourself lacking every time because you are entirely lacking. But he is not lacking. And that's where you have to stay in the realm of faith, not reason. What arena you fight in matters. The enemy wants to fight you in the realm of reason. But your victory is not in the reason realm. It is in the faith realm. For by faith you are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. The Bible says by grace through faith you have been saved. You have been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Come on somebody. You've got to begin to realize that yes my mind can be full of all sorts of stupid comparisons, reasons why, even proof, factual proof why God is not on my side. But forget that because I have a promise in the word of God written with the shed blood of Jesus that if I believe all things are possible to me, I am a brand new creation. The old me is passed away. He is dead and gone. That has no claim in my life whatsoever. And the promises of God for me are yes. Amen. And when does that activate? That activates the moment you repent and you believe. It's not like the Lord gives you a trial period of, let's give you 90 days to test your resolve. The Lord is gracious. But if you fight the enemy in his area, you're going to lose every time. So we've got your, your own life, searching your life. You've got the promises you're believing for. You've got your confession in the arena and your fellowship. Another thing to check is your, your obedience, your personal obedience. Now, your own life is where you check, is there sin in my life? Is there real sin in my life? 
Am I allowing something in I shouldn't let in? Am I looking at things I shouldn't look at? Am I drinking things I know not to drink? Am I, am I blurring the lines? Am I exploring how much of the world I can take in? Or am I st- is there a line drawn in my life, in my household? We will serve the Lord. Your obedience has to do with this. The personal things that God has spoken to you to do. What's your obedience level on that? Because God will speak to many people to do things. This is one area I've witnessed in my life and even had the, the opportunity in my life that oftentimes the Lord will call you to do something. And you're, you're doing it. But then you feel the grace lift. Does anybody in here understand what I'm talking about? You've you like been in a season. Maybe you were, you, were, you were discipling a person. You've been discipling them for a year because you felt the Lord tell you to do it. But the grace begins to lift. And now where it was easy, now it's very hard. Hard is not an indication to quit. And what people do is the moment grace lifts, they perceive a shift by the Spirit, a change of direction. The Lord told me to do it for a year, but nine months in, it feels like probably it's done. And what people do is jump ship at that point. And listen, the Lord is very clear in His Word that if you exalt me, I will exalt you before men. If you serve God, you can expect that God will advance you. You'll actually carry a greater level of the anointing. You'll carry a greater level of wisdom. That, that you will actually carry what, what is genuinely the kingdom of God at a level that you can change an atmosphere around you. You can walk into a room that is full of eight and the presence of God will dis- dissipate in the crowd and things will change. You can walk in that. That's what you're called to walk in. That's what Jesus meant with the kingdom of God is in you. You carry that. So God will advance you. But in the time of advancement, you did this and you feel it's an advancement coming and you jump ship too early. How you handle transition is just as important as your faithfulness to start it. And people get in this place of dishonor. They change things. They jump ship. They want something new and they do it before the Lord leads them to it. And it leaves them in a place where God did not call you to go to. Now you got yourself there. You're going to have to get yourself out of there. And that's what a lot of people are like, well, God's not with me. He's not with you in disobedience. Right. King Saul was a man strong, cold, appointed as the king. Everybody knew he was the king, but he got to a point where his pride and his arrogance in himself made him believe that he knew better than God knew. And so he disobeyed the Lord, and then he tried to sacrifice something to God to win the favor of the Lord back. I know what I'll do. I'll just give God something as if God will be placated or is that a word? Yeah, yeah, it's close enough. I make up words a lot. Like I just said to the worship team after this, I've always felt that clapter should be a word. Like, can we have a round of clapter? It just sounds right. But people are like, that's not a word. And I always think clapter. My wife's like, something's wrong with you. But now you'll never forget it. You'll be like, can I have a round of clapter today? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your clapter. <laughs> but, you, but you get to this place that the Lord does not call you to be in. And when Saul did that, that's the famous scripture that many people quote is that the Lord responded through the prophet Samuel that obedience is better than sacrifice. So it's not how much you gave to God, it's are you obeying what God told you to do. And so maybe the Lord, or maybe even from your own mouth, 
coupling it with your confession, you opened your mouth and you said, I'm going to give this to this person. I'm going to do this for this person. And then over the course of time, you realize that's harder to do than I thought I was going to do. And so you didn't do it. Well, now you're at a place of you basically are disobeying your own word. You got to check yourself. Be like, man, let my yes be yes. Let me be a person of integrity. If I said I'm going to do something, I have to do it. I remember I told this pastor years ago, I was like, I'll fly you down to the camp meeting because I knew he was going through a traumatic time in his life. Uh, I respect men of God. He was feeling like quitting the ministry. I said, I will pay all everything to get you here, everything like that. Well, he waits until the day before camp meeting and calls and is like, yeah, I'm coming now. Buy me the ticket, get me the hotel. Bro, now the ticket is eight times more. It was thousands of dollars. And I was like wanting to be like, look, man, when I said it, the ticket was like $350. <laughs> you know, the circumstances have changed. You know what I'm saying? He'll, he'll understand. All of that's factual. But then as I was about to call and tell him I, I can't do it, I mean, I just felt by the Lord, like, what do you, what, like, when you spoke that out under the unction and the anointing to support my man of God or my minister, now because it costs you more, you can't do it? And it got real and ring the household then, because then you got to go to your wife <laughs> and tell her how you opened your mouth. My father-in-law said, "You got when under the anointing, you will say the craziest of things. And then he said, the key to living it is you actually have to stay under the anointing. Because if you ever sober up, you're like, I said, what? <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a lot going on at that time. You know, I'm sure I didn't mean exactly what you said that I mean when I'm, you know. So I remember buying the ticket. And the dude, you know, you know what, actual fact, I think. I bought the ticket. This is it. And then the dude calls me the next day and says, sorry, I can't come. Literally thousands of dollars gone for no reason other than this reason. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know what? I would rather look back on that and know I did it right. And I can look back on things where the Lord brings it back to my remembrance and I realize I got to make that right. Maybe even as I'm talking, something popped up in you. You said you'd do something and you didn't do it. Go and make that thing right. Amen. Be a person. Let your, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What's your obedience level to the things of God? If God has called you to do something, do it until you know that you know that you know He has called you to do something else. And there is something about that that the blessing of God increases because of faithfulness. Yes. Last one and then we're closing. Is this okay so far? The Lord is with you. He's on your side. But in your mind, you can feel like God is not on your side. So last thing to check is check your praise level. Come on, somebody. When's the last time you had a praise moment with God? When's the last time you stopped at a stoplight and ran around the car shouting glory, hallelujah, and scared the people beside you? You know what I'm saying? When's the last time you had a little Holy Ghost shuffle where you're like, praise him. I remember I was at a red light right here, this red light at the top of Hook Street. And man, we were going through something at that time. And so I'm in the car and I'm just like, oh man, I praise you, God. You're so big. You're so mighty. You're so strong. Woo! Gee, I'm just going to town. Just getting, you know, whatever. And I look over, my window was down and I didn't know it was down. 
And there's a lady beside me, and her window's down. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and she says, won't he do it? You know he will. Oh, yeah. And now, now, now it just amplified, baby. Now we both like, come on. I mean, got a Holy Ghost break. You don't even know each other. Shoot, you know, you know, you know. won't he do it? Yeah, he will. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the greatest stoplight ever. You're like, can we stop at the next light, God? Can we stop at the next light? <laughs> your praise level matters. When dark things come, you got to amplify your praise life. You got to you got to shout heaven down, glorify God. You cannot let circumstances or feelings dictate your praise level. Amen. You got to praise your way through the fight. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.